Uh, tonight we continue on in our series in First Corinthians. First Corinthians. Uh, this is a, the penultimate uh, message uh, on this subject of the resurrection. Um, and then after next week, we're going to begin chapter 16. And that will take us right up to uh, Advent. So Christmas isn't far away. Um, we take time to look at God's Word tonight. And there's so much uh, for us to be encouraged about. Um, particularly as we just think about what it means to read God's Word, to receive it, and then to apply it to our lives. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15 and 50 through to 57. So I'm reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, and the words are going to be up on the screen as well. So let's take some time to look at what God has to say uh, through his word, starting in verse 50. So Paul says, What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is of the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's take a moment to pray. So Lord, we, we recognise tonight that uh, all of us here have, have heard this word already today. But we want to we want to hear it afresh and we want you to speak to us and provide insight in ways which we didn't hear this morning. So Lord, would you grant us wisdom uh, as we receive your word and would you fill us with your spirit and would you enable us to, to look at your word afresh so that you would... Give us attentive hearts and responsive hearts with a desire to have your name glorified more. Lord, I pray that we would just be consumed by you as we go into this week and people would see Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we ask for this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, tonight, I want you to be encouraged uh, by the fact that the words that Paul pens in this part of the letter... Uh, shows that in reality, none of us need to be anxious about anything, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. So we stand on resurrection ground tonight, fully, completely, and confidently defying the shadow of death. Uh, a shadow that was without question upon us before we encountered Christ. Uh, we love Jesus tonight, and we can declare verses 56 and 57 of our passage. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, sin and death is a reality for each one of us. But also, yes, thanks be to God, we have victory over all of that. And that, that should bring us tremendous joy. Tremendous joy. Uh, if these words are true, which we are, no matter what it is that we face in our lives, trial, hardship, suffering, even sin, God will have the last word. He will have the last word because the resurrection guarantees it's all going to work out in the end. 
all because of this love relationship we have with Jesus. People often say that if, if you are going through a difficult moment, it's all going to work out. And sometimes we can say that in a flippant way, but the truth is, it is all going to work out. It's all going to work out because of Christ and the resurrection. Uh, to be known by God and to know God is such a vital truth for us tonight um, as we think about this, this reality of resurrection. And I find what W.E. Vine says in his commentary in 1 Corinthians really helpful for us. Touching on chapter 15, uh, he says this. He says, a person must be a new creature, a new creation to be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Spiritual life is not the possession of an unbeliever in either his present state or future state. Therefore, vo only those who become new creatures and possess spiritual life are included. Vital relationship with him who has been raised from the dead can only ensure resurrection unto life. There's always a, a potential pitfall for you and I as we take time to think about the resurrection. The, the pitfall is this. The resurrection is just this, this thing, this something that happens to us one day within our Christian lives. And we do not take time to consider the fact that through the resurrection, Christ demonstrates who he is and how much he loves us. So the very fact that we have a resurrection is rooted in this reality that God loves us and he cares for us. You might even say that the umbilical cord of the resurrection goes right into the fact that you and I have this relationship with Christ. The very fact that we will one day be resurrected highlights how much he deeply loves us and cares for us in the days that lie ahead and whatever we might face within the future. And there's always a danger when it comes to us understanding this passage tonight. We just see the benefits that result from this resurrection. So Paul unpacks a number of different benefits and we can just think of this in purely transactional terms. We forget that behind these benefits from this passage that result from the resurrection, there is a God who loves us and there is a God who cares for us. So that the resurrection and its blessings are a reality for each one of us today. So with that in mind, let me ask this question tonight in light of what we read within our passage. What do we gain from the resurrection and again just note what do we gain from the resurrection in light of the fact that God loves us so it's not just this idea of benefiting from, from the resurrection it's benefiting from this resurrection in light of the fact that God loves us so what do we gain, Paul identifies three blessings which we're going to take in turn understand tonight that as we take these points in turn we're reminding ourselves that these blessings highlight how much God loves us and cares for us. So let's take a moment to look at the first of these. Paul says this, number one, we will no longer have an earthly body, but a heavenly one. We will no longer have an earthly body, but a heavenly one. Have a look at verse 50. Paul says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And this is more than God just giving us an upgrade. It's not like Mark Morris 2.0. Um, there's an important reason and there are perhaps other reasons that we're not aware of for why it is we will not have flesh and blood bodies in heaven. What we currently have will not be what we have in eternity. An important and often overlooked verse around this is Leviticus 17 and verse 11. We read this, for the life of a creature is in the blood. We're just going to stop there and focus on this first part. For, for the life of a creature is in the blood. And this is true, not just with regards to theology, but biology as well. God is the author of, of all things, biology. 
And when you and I eat food, the blood absorbs the food and the nutrients go to every part of the body for growth and nourishment. And the blood in our bodies also acts as this purifying agent, removing anything unwanted or defiling in the growth process. The blood that we carry acts, therefore, as this growing and protective agent. So that under the right conditions, through the body we've been given, we don't just survive, we thrive in a physical sense. Our blood is what enables us to live physically. That's why there's so much demand for different types of blood in hospitals. Literally, it's what keeps people alive. But when we pass into eternity, flesh and blood is not a part of God's design. And if you have a look at the rest of 1711 in Leviticus, we read this. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have appointed it to you to make atonement on the altar for your lives, since it is the lifeblood that makes atonement. Now, God's people needed blood, not just to live day to day, but to also make atonement for sins before Christ came. Sacrifices had to take place in order for them to be made right with God. But through Jesus, the one who has made the final atonement on our behalf, we no longer need blood to atone for sins. That's true in this life now, and it's true in the life that we have to look forward to after the resurrection. And so some commentators have made this really interesting point. But one of the reasons why we will not have physical bodies in heaven, one of the reasons why there won't be flesh and blood in heaven, is because our whole lives are now in Christ. And if our whole lives are in Christ, then the absence of flesh and blood is God reminding us that he is our only need. We, o- we need only rely on his blood and not our own. So have a look at 1 John 2 and verse 2. He himself, that's Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Add to that John 10, 10. Jesus himself says this. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. So our source of life is Christ, both now and in eternity. And John Hedden notes in his commentary in 1 Corinthians, the absence of blood speaks of redemption accomplished. The possession of his life again speaks of redemption distributed freely. Hence, even the body of the Lord was changed in resurrection. And this will testify throughout eternal days that he once gave himself. So Paul makes this point here because... The Corinthians found this concept of no flesh and blood after the resurrection difficult to comprehend. They came from this deeply rationalistic culture. And so the idea of us having something else other than what we currently have in terms of a flesh and blood body, it wasn't easy for them to take hold of. And if you know from the New Testament, they weren't alone. The Sadducees denied the resurrection completely. And if we're honest tonight, This is not one of those passages where there's cultural disconnect with our context. We're not much different from the Corinthians in that regard. We live in this deeply rationalistic society that's steeped in unbelief around anything supernatural, around anything that might be deemed as spiritual. We find it hard to come to terms with this idea of having heavenly bodies and not earthly bodies. And no, this doesn't mean we're going to be floating about in the clouds playing harps, wearing nappies. That's not what it's referring to. It's it's referring to this glorious and empowered body. One that is completely different to what we have now. Sorry if I created an image in your head there. (laughs) The challenge for you and I tonight is that we have an eternal perspective on these earthly bodies of ours. Um, Each one of the earthly bodies in this room tonight 
has a sell-by date. And that's a really nice way of me saying, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. That's the reality. And that's not something that we should be scared of. That's something that we should... In one regard, it's, it's something that we should be excited about because we're going to be with Jesus forever and ever. That's the perspective we must have in this life. Uh, the two dangers that we have when it comes to our bodies and as we seek to look at the flesh and blood that we might have in light of eternity is that we either love our bodies too much or we don't love our bodies enough. We either love our bodies too much or we don't love our bodies enough. We love our bodies too much in that we put all of our hope in the physical things of this world. We do everything we can to prevent ourselves from getting old and no one's managed it in the history of mankind so far, everyone struggles to prevent themselves from getting old. We overcompensate trying to make ourselves look good outwardly and we even put all of our hope in the physical. And we can so often think if the physical is right, then everything else is going to fall into place. And as I said this morning, just have a look at the lives of celebrities who do everything they can to look good physically and yet their lives are falling apart. But it's not just celebrities. for so many people in our lives who are constantly working overtime to maintain this external image and within themselves, they're falling apart. So that's one error. The opposite error is we don't love our bodies enough. We fail to see that these physical bodies can be used as instruments of worship to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, Romans 12. We don't consider the fact that what we do in this life in a physical sense will have a lasting impact in eternity. And the solution to these is to not love our bodies too much or love our bodies less. It's to give our absolute all in worship to God today in anticipation and in hope-filled excitement for all that God has for us in eternity. So let us consider what it means to love our bodies in, in a way that honours God, in a way that is expectant of what God has planned for us in eternity, to use our bodies sacrificially as a means of gaining reward in heaven for the glory of God. So that's the first point. We won't have earthly bodies. We will have heavenly bodies. This leads us on to Paul's next point. Paul highlights here, we will no longer be sinful, but sinless. Amen. Let's have a look tonight at what it is that Paul writes in verse 50 again. This time the second part of that verse. So flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Paul here is referring to our sinful nature, who we are within ourselves. Our sin is not just something we do, it's our identity, it's who we are. We are sinners by nature, children of wrath. Paul continues this theme in verses 51 to 52. So have a look at what he writes. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. So what Paul here is referring to is the fact that some of us will still be alive in Christ uh, when Christ returns and a new heaven and a new earth become a reality. And it sounds like Paul was pretty convinced it was going to happen fairly soon. Like he was so expectant of the fact that Christ would, would return maybe in the next 10, 15, 20 years. We see that in our passage tonight, but we also see it elsewhere in the New Testament. And so what Paul here is saying is that these people will be changed in a moment, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, 
at the last trumpet. And this is an echo of what Paul writes to another church. First Thessalonians chapter 4, 15 to 17. Paul says this to the brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. And he unpacks it a bit more within this passage. So he says, For we say this to you by our word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so, we'll, and so we will always be with the Lord. So the dead in Christ will rise. Then the living in Christ will be transformed and we will meet Jesus in the air and we will be with Jesus forever. So let's just take a moment to reflect on that. We will meet Jesus in the air and we will be with him forever. Let that just be your lens as you go into this week. You're going to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. It will be a transformation of the dead and the living who are in Christ to be one with Jesus. It will be a transformation from corruptible to incorruptible so that we are able to be with Jesus. It will be a transformation that none of us can fully comprehend or come to terms with tonight. And I think we all know that. We can't fully understand what it's going to look like. And Paul unpacks this in more detail in verses 53 to 55, where we read, For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. Now notice from these words, we're clothed with this new body. We're fully and completely incorruptible. Fully and completely incorruptible. That means that, that we do not have sin anymore. There's no ounce of sin within our lives. Notice that Paul says, this must happen. It must happen. So we can't avoid this. As unholy men and women, what we are now, we cannot come before this holy God unless he first changes us in a brief and powerful moment. And it will be brief. It will happen, not even with the click of a, a finger. Paul again unpacks this a bit more in one of his letters. He describes what occurs in Philippians 3.21. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. For Paul's readers to hear this, whether it be in Philippi or somewhere else, it must have brought great encouragement to them. They must have thought in the midst of all that they're facing, man, God, God is with us. doesn't matter what we face, God's going to help us. There's good news at the end of all that we're going through. To know that God's miracle of transformation is instantaneous to go from sinful to sinless it's mind-blowing when you think about it this instant transformation incredible in the new heaven and the new earth we will not sin we will not be sinned against so whether it is you committing the sin or it is you being sinned against i hope i hope tonight you're looking forward to that day when you will be free from pride, from boasting, free from putting yourself before others for our own personal gain, free from greed, free from selfishness, free from trying to find satisfaction in the things of this world, 
I hope, I hope tonight we're looking forward to that day when we will be free from wrath, free from hatred, free from exclusion, free from envy, free from jealousy, free from gossip in all of its forms, free from lust, free from innuendo, free from pornography. I hope we're looking forward to that day. Are you looking forward to that day when you will be free from gluttony, free from material consumption, free from drunkenness, free from sloth, free from excuse after excuse, free from thinking only ever of yourself. Whoever this list describes your sin or the ways in which we have been sinned against, I think we can all agree that's a, a pretty exciting prospect to be free from all of that junk. Paul Helm, in his book, The Last Things, writes this, uh, the freedom of heaven then is the freedom from sin. Not that the believer just happens to be free from sin, but that he is so constituted or reconstituted that he cannot sin. He doesn't want to sin and he does not want to want to sin. What a day. What a day that's going to be. That's one of the most powerful ways we can witness to those who don't know Jesus. And it's not that we're showing them a brochure and saying, this is where you could go to. But in some way, this reflects God's love. So we can say, this is what God has planned for us. This is a God who loves us so much, but he has got that for us. So let me invite you to have a relationship with him as I have a relationship with him. We so often forget the, the powerful witness as it relates to this prospect of eternity with Jesus. Randy Alcorn, in his book on heaven, says it even better. He says, no death, no suffering, no funeral homes, abortion clinics or psychiatric wards, no rape, missing children or drug rehabilitation centers, no bigotry, no muggings or killings, no worry or depression or economic downturns, no wars, no unemployment, no anguish over failure and miscommunication, no con men, no locks, no death, no mourning, no pain, no boredom, no arthritis, no handicaps, no cancer, no taxes, no bills, no computer crashes, no weeds, no bombs, no drunkenness, no traffic jams and accidents, no septic tank backups, no mental illness, no unwanted emails, close friendships but no cliques, laughter but no put-downs, intimacy but no temptation to immorality, no hidden agendas, no backroom deals, no betrayals. Imagine mealtimes full of stories, laughter and joy without fear of insensitivity, inappropriate behaviour, anger, gossip, lust, jealousy, hurt feelings or anything that eclipses joy, that will be heaven. So be excited about all that God has planned for us. We should be excited. This brings us on to our final point from this passage, something that overlaps all that we've already looked at. Paul essentially says this, we will no longer face death, but receive life. We will no longer face death, but receive life. And let's have a look together at the passage we just looked at, starting in verse 54. Paul says, when this, in, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the same that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? 
And Paul here is tapping into the Old Testament prophets, and in particular Isaiah 25.8 and Hosea 13.14. And in doing this, uh, we recognize afresh that this was God's plan from the beginning. It's not like God had this plan, something went wrong, and God then changed his plan and implemented this resurrection promise. No, God had this plan of resurrection from the very beginning, before the foundations of the earth. And Paul wants us to understand from his words that because of a resurrection, there is neither victory or sting from death. There's neither victory or sting from death. So Paul is both bold and courageous. What is this from Paul but sheer defiance in the face of death? And it's not just something that Paul said. This is how Paul lived day after day. Complete defiance when it came to this prospect of death. He wasn't afraid. He was confident in his Lord and confident in this promise of resurrection. He faced regular seasons of persecution. He came face to face with death on many occasions, whether it be in his own life or in the life of other people. And the promise of a resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit emboldened him to share the gospel with others, whatever the cost. And it did cost him just a, a heads up. Paul lost his life for the sake of the gospel. He was executed. You can imagine him in those moments, in the moments immediately before his execution, declaring in his own heart, maybe even out loud, where death is your sting? Where is your sting? Such a, a bold apostle in the face of death. Uh, when I was at Bible College back in 2007, my Old Testament lecturer, uh, Ted Herbert, he was also the vice principal uh, of the college. Uh, and I've never met someone so passionate about the Old Testament. As I said this morning, um, he, he knew the Old Testament inside out. He knew the orders of all the kings. Uh, something that we had, we were examined on, we had to do lots of different Old Testament tests. And as I said this morning, I've completely forgotten the order of all the different kings. Um, but it, it really allowed us, enabled us to have a greater love for the Old Testament. And he had a real gift of connecting the Old Testament towards the New Testament and identifying the person and work of Jesus within the Old Testament and how that was a picture of the New Testament. After my first year at college, during the summer, I got a call from one of my friends at the college to say that Ted had cancer. It was terminal. He had a few months to live. And this was correct. Ted passed away in September, 50 years old. Uh, before his passing, the whole college, his church, so many who knew and loved uh, Jesus and loved Ted, just spent some time to encourage him, to pray for him in the midst of what he was going through. And before he passed, he sent this audio message to the entire college, to the students, the staff. And he was, he was certain he was about to pass away. He knew he was going to die. He knew it wouldn't be long. And at different points in the audio, you could tell he was clearly upset. Um, he wasn't going to be able to see his son getting married and, and all these different life moments that he had hoped for. But at the same time, he had a greater hope. He was undeniably hopeful of the promise of his Lord and the power of the resurrection. And he shared these words from 1 Corinthians 15, 54-55. And something I didn't mention, any time I read this, this segment, um, in 1 Corinthians 15, I immediately think of Ted. He shared this, as he sent this audio to, 
to students and staff. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? And like Paul, Ted was completely defiant in the face of death, confident of what God had planned for him and committed to sharing the love of God with everyone he met before his passing, which wasn't long. So I take great encouragement from Ted's example because what I see is someone who really did put this passage into practice. He really did live it out. So I look at his life and I think, if God can help, help Ted in that moment, then he can help me. And the reality is he can help every single one of us tonight. The truth is, God can help you to face death. God can equip us to die well. It's not a sentence you hear in our world, but it's a sentence that we should communicate within the kingdom as a church family to know what it means to die well for the glory of God so that we do not have a single thread of fear in our hearts because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives in us and it's the same spirit that will rise us from the dead when we meet him in the air. So my prayer for each one of us tonight is that whatever we face in life, whether now or much further down the line, we can take hold of these realities, verses 56 to 7. And verses 56 to 7, the final two verses, really highlight that the bad news has been completely obliterated by the good news. The bad news has been completely obliterated by the good news. So Paul says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, brackets, bad news, and then good news. But thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we respond tonight, as I said this morning, we do want to just create some space as a church family. I know we're very small in number tonight, but again, we just want to create some space for you to receive prayer. And it may, as I said already this morning, it may be a worry, it may be a fear, it may be a, a situation or circumstance that we're facing in our lives. We might need advice, maybe it is pain, illness, a condition. You know, there's no point in coming on Sundays and doing this whole kind of fake Christian, I'm fine routine. God calls us to be open, to be honest with one another. And it can be done here. It can be done in one of the rooms at the side. God wants to meet with us. And one of the ways he meets with us is through his brothers and sisters in Christ, the church family. So if that should speak with me or, or speak with, with TJ um, or speak with, with one of us and we would take some time to pray for you. Um, so we respond and worship now and I hope we can respond holding on to these words of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 to 4 so Peter says this blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his great mercy through the cross he has given his new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you that's the reality that we can stand and look towards. So let's take hold of that as we pray and as we sing and worship. So Father, we, we just want to take a deep breath for a moment. We've, we've heard from your word tonight and we want to just consider what your word has said to us and we want to understand what this means for us in our lives. 
We want to know what to do and what not to do as we go into this week. We pray that you would give us wisdom and we pray that you would give us love for you and for your word, for your commands and for every single person you put into our lives. Help us to be Christ-like in every area. Convict us of sin tonight. Bring us to that place of renewal. Give us a fresh hunger and desire for you. And may we know what it means to be on mission and the power of your Holy Spirit. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.